Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Maria, joined by me today, and it's Monday. The brain needs a little bit of a push, but today I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Gianna Whitford. <laughs> what a great and, and her, start. And her, brain, her brain is also on Monday, needs a little bit of a jump. Our guest today is Chris Spellman. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to go through your experience as part of your intro and right over to you because we can't wait to get into it. Chris, you are currently Senior Demand Gen Manager at Scythe. You are also an established author. You are co-author of the Shadows of Freedom series, a series of, and I copy this right from your LinkedIn, which actually is really cool, of dystopian novels, including In the Shadows of Freedom and Nation of Tyrants. In the Shadows of Freedom features a young woman living in New York who basically questions her identity in a nation that's going crazy, basically breaking apart. She asks that life question of what does it actually mean to be free? I really want to get into some of this in a little bit. Really, really cool. Chris, I want to know what it's like writing a book with your wife. Yeah, so we actually get that a lot. It's a good process. We'll go off, write things on our own. We'll talk about plot and characters and what we want, big overarching themes and things like that, edit each other's work, and we enjoy collaborating on it. That's awesome. That's solid marriage, solid (laughs) love right there. (laughs) You can do that. You can do anything. Chris, you also spent a few years at Offensive Security. You also spent some time doing analyst work. What an amazing journey. Let's give it over to you. Tell us about who you are, Chris. Tell us your story and how you actually made it here. Yeah, so I've been doing cybersecurity marketing for almost six years now, and it's been a great journey. I've been doing marketing beyond cybersecurity as well for, I think, a total of 11 years. So did some software companies and a couple of other tech-related companies before I came into cyber. But it's been great working through different areas of marketing, started actually doing like SEO copywriting way back in the day, and then moved into more like Marcom type stuff, and then ultimately kind of like marketing operations specialty for a while, and then now doing demand gen. So yeah, it's been a great journey, both within marketing and within cybersecurity. That's quite the full stack. I feel like you have the ability to write and do SEO, but then you also have the ability to go under the hood, build the infrastructure, do the operations and building the campaigns. And that's actually really, really cool to have in in your toolkit of skills. Yeah, appreciate it. Why demand gen, Chris? Because Maria said you've kind of done the whole journey. What pulls you or keeps you in demand gen? I actually go back and forth between my interest in like marketing operations type stuff, analytics and that sort of thing, and then demand gen itself. But I feel like demand gen is just a little bit more interesting to me because you have these big targets to hit and you have a million ways to do it and you're trying to figure out the best strategy and the best way to accomplish that. And I really like that aspect of it. I mean, I love marketing operations as well, but it's really important. But 
I just like to mention because it's really covered so much and it's an overarching strategy type situation. Nice. Why don't you school us and school so many of us listening probably? What is that difference between lead gen and demand gen? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to say on this actually, but I guess I'll just start by saying that and a little bit of history. I mean, as we know, like back in the day, 15, 10 years ago, whatever, companies really had trouble getting email addresses, getting contact information, getting that sort of leads essentially for outbound sales. And so we got the idea of, hey, let's get a lot of content. Let's do like Google Ads or back then AdWords to drive downloads to these this content, get a bunch of form completions, have the SDRs call them. Like, I mean, a lot of companies still do this sort of playbook, but I guess that sort of is what I see as like more lead gen tactics versus more like creating demand. So I guess just to finish off that thought, though, like I think today it's very easy and cheap to get email addresses to target with. We have ZoomInfo and all these other competitors of theirs versus like having to do a bunch of ebook downloads or all that sort of thing back in the day. But yeah, I mean, I think the problem with lead gen is just those leads don't tend to be like really high quality leads by any means. In fact, they actually close. I think I've seen percentages like 0.2% at most, 0.1%, like stuff like that. So it's like one out of a thousand, one out of 500. But sales, meanwhile, or SDRs are having to follow up with all these quote unquote leads and they're not really ready to buy. They're not really in the market, all these things like that. The issue is you're also not leaving a good impression of your brand with those leads, so to speak. Because you're also wasting sales time. So it creates like a big friction between sales and marketing. Sales, a classic thing, like, why are you sending us these lousy leads? Marketing, why aren't you closing these leads that we send you, et cetera. So it's like, there has to be a better way. And this is something just kind of my own journey. Like I did things pretty much the lead gen way for a really long time until more or less like two or three years ago. And I just sort of woke up to the fact that, hey, maybe there's a different way to do it, or I've heard different things out there on LinkedIn or or whatever, advocating for other ways that are kind of more like create demand and demand gen factors. So like, yeah, so I took over demand gen at Offensive Security in the fall of 2020 and really just sort of started to think to myself, how exactly can I take on this particular role that I had at that time? And that's really when I came into better ways of doing demand gen and distancing myself from like the classic, like lead gen type of stuff. So what type of stuff did you do to sort of create demand instead of just collecting emails and collecting names and collecting Mm. form fills? Just like a quick rundown of some of those things we did. Like we created a podcast that we didn't have while I was there. And I mean, it's just one thing, obviously, but we started up doing like a lot of LinkedIn ads targeting the ICP, not getting them to necessarily download something right away, but just kind of more of a, I don't want to say brand play, but just educating the market and what we did and what was available for us and or to them and, and that sort of thing. So we did Facebook ads as well as LinkedIn actually at that time. And then, yeah, really just like a lot of other ways to create demand in terms of like having subject matter experts be driving the content strategy as well. This is offensive security. They are a training company for cybersecurity certifications. OSCP is very well known among others. But yeah, so it was really just like we had a lot of subject matter experts on staff, even within marketing. We had a community manager who is has all these certifications and does this professionally. And on the side, he's helping us as a community manager. So like having him host the podcast, having other co-hosts who are experts, et cetera, like this really helped. 
part of it was just this content strategy as well. I think there is a lot of trepidation in maybe less so now, because I think people have been beating this create demand, don't capture demand or do more demand creation. Don't just capture demand and leads for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. But it's still kind of a risk to take. Was there anything or do you recommend anything to sort of smooth over that transition? And how long did it kind of take you to see that, hey, LinkedIn ads, hey, a podcast, which may or may not collect leads. I mean, podcasts don't really, but LinkedIn ads maybe depending on if it's a form filler, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. For this like awareness level stuff that is SME content driven, et cetera, how long did it take to sort of start seeing some results that you could actually point to and be like, hey, our podcast, it influences stuff for our pipeline. Part of it actually was that pretty early on to that whole journey, we instituted a self-reported attribution type model. I mean, not exclusively self-reported, but it was available. So we just had a simple, how did you hear about us field, made it required, made it open text field where you just fill in a word or a sentence or two sentences or whatever. And then we figured out a way to kind of like, it was relatively high volume. So we had to figure out a way to like create reports in HubSpot or otherwise Excel to classify these things. But we saw like, hey, podcast is showing up in here or these other channels that we were working on. I saw you on LinkedIn. I saw you wherever. It's a way to supplement the attribution that we got through HubSpot or other tools that we may have had. So that was very helpful, actually, because it was just like, how do you measure marketing and effectiveness and efficiency and all of those sorts of things? And I feel like if you do it strictly based on like Visible or some sort of tool like that or HubSpot, those sorts of tools, you miss a certain color to it that you can gain certain additional information from something like self-reported. Yeah, especially with dark social. HubSpot will tell you it's direct traffic. Meanwhile, the person heard about us through a peer group or a private Slack community. Chris, I wanted to ask you, I'm going to assume that you are probably of the school of thought to ungate everything, but I'll let you answer that question. Is it ungate or gate everything or something in between? How do you usually handle that? Yeah. So, I mean, my personal preference is to ungate pretty much everything. I think obviously like webinar slash live online events, anything you have to register for, for that sense, obviously is like quote unquote gated because you have to, but like, yeah, I don't typically like to gate white papers or anything else that might be available or even like really focus on that type of content. Like we really try to put as much as we could on the podcast, or maybe we do some blog posts or they were particularly technical or things of that nature, YouTube videos or whatever. So like that was kind of the content strategy. So at the end of the day, like we didn't really have eBooks that need to be gated, et cetera. So that's kind of my approach. I I do see, you know, maybe in some circumstances, it's useful to gate something for like certain industries or certain types of customer. Like I think outside of cybersecurity, maybe more like manufacturing or old school, like I don't want to say old school, but Industries that we are can not say old like, school. Yeah. We're not in those industries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not in those industries. So, like, yeah, just industries that are like ten years behind cybersecurity or B two B SaaS marketing. Then I could see like that maybe being useful. But I think from where we are in cybersecurity and SaaS and and all that sort of thing, I just don't see it as a valuable strategy anymore. What are some things? And it's your choice. Can you tell us about either a big success or a big failure you've had in cyber marketing? A big failure was 
I was with another company, Center for Internet Security, back like four or five years ago now. CISA, right? Yeah, CIS. Yep. Yeah, so they have like the okay. benchmarks, the controls, the, I don't know if you're familiar with any of those, but it's actually a nonprofit, which is kind of weird because like they would sell things and more or less acted like a company in that respect because we had software that we sold and stuff like that. But it was actually a nonprofit sort of neutral company that would just put out like these controls and these benchmarks and helpful documents and things that people would get for free, but they gated them. I think that was a good use of gating because these are like hundred page PDFs, 50 of them or something like that. So people would get access to this whole library and just made sense to kind of like keep track of how many downloads there were and all this stuff. But in any event, I was with them and we decided to do for the software sales, like kind of an ABM type style approach. And again, this is before I sort of converted to the way of thinking I have now. So it was like, let's like do display ads and let's gate everything and the whole like the way that a lot of people do ABM, I guess. And it just completely failed. Like we got almost no, nobody interested, no downloads, no sales, no revenue. Like everything was very unsuccessful. So why do you think it was unsuccessful? Was it because things were gated or was it like? oh, this is just not the right message for the audience or like a mix. ABM works for a lot of folks, so I'm just curious. It was probably a little mix of everything. I mean, this is like several years ago now. I think it was like maybe 2015 yeah. or something. So just a little bit different from today. But we were just going after these accounts in a way that it wasn't the way they, they were interested in buying at that time. So like we were showing the display ads, hitting them with these click on the thing and downloaded a white paper or something like that. And I just think that they were looking for like a different type of content. And actually, since then, CIS has launched a podcast and has done more video content and done more on social and things like that. So I think the company has actually evolved more towards like the way of doing things that I was thinking. But back then, four or five years ago, whatever it was, we weren't there yet. You're right. I mean, ABM is tricky and everyone could make ABM however they want, right? And call it ABM. You have a target account list. You have some messaging. Yeah, that could be ABM. But there are a lot of other foundational things that need to be there for ABM to be successful. And they're not really around the account list or the messaging or the segmentation. It's more internal. It's that sales team buy-in. It's the leadership buy-in. It's having the right resources and investments to make ABM happen. Because it's not one of those free organic strategies. ABM needs money. And it needs support internally. So that's interesting that you look back at it now and you've identified the few things that could have made it a bit more successful. Yeah, no, for sure. And then I guess just to finish off that question you had about like failure success, I mean, success I could think of was really the podcast that we launched at Offensive Security. So kind of took off and became... It's called like the Offensive Security Podcast. <laughs> so Very creative. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were kind of trying to own that term, which was already in the name. So it's kind of easy enough. But that was great because it really evolved from like interviews with the community, various kinds. But then we had like some other co-hosts come on and speaking about certain topics and covering certain things or maybe interviewing internal people as well. So what I liked about it was it really had like many different formats and ways of covering different things that the audience liked. And it was a great way to communicate with our audience, actually. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. 
Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and sponsor a podcast or two. So let's jump into some analytics talk, if I may, Chris. First off, where do you do your analytics? I heard you say HubSpot. Are you just basically between HubSpot and Salesforce reports? Do you have another tool that you rely on? Yeah. So in terms of tools, where I am now at Scythe, we were using HubSpot and Salesforce in tandem. We actually just recently, like October of 2022, switched over to HubSpot CRM as well. So pretty much everything's in HubSpot at this point in terms of sales and marketing analytics. We even have Service Hub as well coming on soon. I think the HubSpot is like the central place, but then we'll just do things in Excel if we need to or whatever. That's the main hub, no pun intended. But What is your favorite Excel macro? Sorry, that's a ridiculous question. <laughs> do you like pivot tables? Like, What's your favorite, <laughs> favorite thing about Excel? It's a love-hate relationship, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, Excel is Excel, but no, I mean, we also use Google Sheets, but probably the pivot table feature is pretty useful. So Chris, I want to hear more about the story of switching from Salesforce to HubSpot CRM, because we don't usually see that journey that way. It's usually the other way, but tell us more about it. So I'm at Scythe, which is a Series A company. We've got about 50 employees right now. Probably what happened was I was a little bit before my time because I joined in April of 2022, but Salesforce kind of was brought in very early and probably too early. (laughs) We had different sales leadership at that time and different marketing leadership at that time, two years ago or whatever it was. And so, yeah, it just kind of got to the point where sales leadership, marketing leadership, both our teams were just realizing like Salesforce is just too much going on for our stage and for our size and for Series A. So, and also the expense. So we just kind of, we were using HubSpot for the marketing automation platform and just said, hey, let's go to the CRM and maybe as we get to Series B, C, whatever, we'll go back to Salesforce at some point, but this is kind of where we are right now. So Chris, that's really awesome that you moved over to HubSpot CRM. I am a little bit orange and envy, not green, but orange because of HubSpot, because I just know the amount of awesome data you're going to have all in one place and how much attribution is going to be just so much easier on the opportunity level. I got to experience that just in my previous role. I had never used HubSpot CRM before, and it was really cool to build that out with the sales team. So much functionality to customize and all that cool stuff. Maybe we should have you over in a couple of months to tell us how it's going, or maybe you have enough data to tell us today. Oh yeah, that's awesome to hear that you've made that journey backwards, but in the right direction, in my opinion. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) So on that also, let's expand a little bit on the analytics and the attribution part. How do you do attribution both on the account level, opportunity level, and then all the way down to lead contact? Here at Scythe, we also have the self-report attribution through a contact us or demo request form. We've got that, how did you hear about us field? It's required. It's like a open text. There's plenty of room if you want to write more than a word or two. 
yeah, so we just sort of collate all that data into like a Google Sheet type thing, or sometimes use Excel, depending. The volume is not super high, so it's just not that hard to do that at this point. As we grow, it'll become a little bit more complicated, obviously. But we do that, and then we use the attribution the HubSpot provides. And so it's really like this hybrid attribution model where we're looking at both sources of data and sort of getting a qualitative as well as quantitative look at it. It's just very different from like the way I guess most companies would do it with like a first touch, last touch, whatever sort of thing. Like we do it like marketing's contribution to revenue or opportunities or whatever level it is. And it's just based on like being able to do attribution on whether it's podcast or we don't have a podcast, but at another company I would have a podcast or whether it's LinkedIn or LinkedIn ads, or I saw this or word of mouth, sometimes they'll put or whatever. And just doing it that sort of way, in addition to like direct traffic, organic traffic, all of that sort of thing. I like that. That's what it should be called. First touch, last touch, whatever. Because <laughs> I don't know anybody who's been able to do multi-touch 20, 80, 20, or, or whatever it is, or 20, 60, 20, or any of those really intricate, crazy yep. attribution models. I don't even understand how anybody could actually implement that and get it actually working with the right kind of data. So if you're listening, hit us up. If you've done really intricate multi-touch attribution with crazy-ass formula, we definitely want to hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> totally. What are the metrics that you are reporting on for demand gen? Also, I'm curious because I know pipeline potentially, but is there anything else that you think is important to track in this mix when you're doing demand creation instead of just capture? Something that we look at, which I think is maybe a little bit more unusual, is actually just deal size. I mean, I'm sure a lot of companies do that, but for us, at least at Scythe, like we're kind of moving away from a lot of our customers being consultants and more towards a lot of our customers being the enterprise. And obviously the deal size is much higher there at enterprise level. So part of it is like, are we driving the right kind of opportunities and customers as well? Because, you know, we can close 10 consultants, but it's like practically the same amount of revenue as, as if it was one enterprise. So we look at deal size as part of it. I mean, for us, it's like sales qualified opportunities is sort of like the main metric, I would say. And then we also look at like marketing as contribution to revenue. So like, you know, right now, I think it's like at 60 or most recently we reported at like 61%, but like, obviously like that's something to track. Yeah, yeah. When you're saying sales qualified opportunities, is it all sales qualified opportunities or is it marketing contributed sales qualified opportunities? Yeah, I should clarify that. So yeah, definitely the marketing sourced opportunities, uh, sales qualified ones. Nice. I want to sort of take it back to the beginning of the podcast when we started talking about your book. So here's a question for you. So you'll have to put your therapist hat on. (laughs) If you are not able to write a book with your spouse, is your marriage doomed? (laughs) This is for anyone, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's for everyone. (laughs) I would say no, but I would also say that if you can't do anything with your spouse, including like watching a movie or going out to dinner or whatever, then that, that's a problem as well. <laughs> if you're unable to work on any project with your spouse, then it's a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty much. It doesn't have to be a book. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to give us your elevator pitch for your series and where people can find it? 
So yeah, as Maria mentioned, it's called the Shadows of Freedom series. Right now we have two books of the trilogy out. Nation of Tyrants is the second one in the Shadows of Freedom is the first. And then this coming 2023, we're planning on releasing the third one. We haven't revealed the name yet, but that'll be coming out very soon. Basically, just a quick summary, I think it was already kind of mentioned, but it's a dystopian fiction, near future U.S. The U.S. finally is a meritocracy. Laws and regulations are repealed all in the name of freedom. The protagonist is a young artist who moves to New York City and falls in love with a member of the ruling party. And basically, from there, the main conflict is, you know, the political party is looking to banish anything or anyone that might jeopardize individual autonomy is sort of like the be all and end all of everything. It's kind of like everything's free, but you're not free to disagree (laughs) sort of thing. So, yeah, so that's where it goes. And then it's kind of just tracking those two characters and throughout the trilogy and so on. But people can find out more about it. Through our website, which is just spellmanbooks.com, S-P-E-L-L-M-A-N books.com. We have a lot of information on there. We have a LinkedIn page, actually, Facebook, et cetera, Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. Cool. We'll link to those in the show notes. Maria, is it time for our game? I think so. This is going to be hard because you're a marketer, you're an analyst, you're an author. Looks like you're a musician also (laughs) based on the guitars and the instruments in the background. So this is going to be a really hard one. I'll let you go first, Gianna. At the end of each episode, we try to guess what our guests would actually be doing for work if they weren't currently in cybersecurity marketing. Most of the time I lose. Most of the time Gianna wins. Sometimes I cheat, but let's see how it goes today. I cheat a lot too, but nobody knows. So (gasps) the plot is twisting. Chris, I think this is like only partly cheating. It's more like inference, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a degree in philosophy. What do people with philosophy degrees really excel at? They really excel at law. I think you'd be a great lawyer. And I only say that because we can't say author because you already are one. (laughs) Right. And so you would be a lawyer that does not write any law books. So that's the disclaimer there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Gosh, I don't know. This is a hard one. You're very hard to read, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully the books aren't. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, maybe. Actually, that's a good point. You're hard to read. So maybe you could be like a poker player. That's going to be my guess. Oh, like a pro poker player? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Tell us who lost, who got it right, who got it close. Probably Gianna got a little bit closer with lawyer. My dad's a lawyer, and I thought about going to law school at one point, although I don't know if I'd want to do that either. So yeah, I don't know. If it was up to me, maybe I would be like a professor or something like that, maybe of like liberal arts. I don't know. Hard to know what the fantasy job would be. Amazing. Depends on the day, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, I lose again. Sigh, sigh. Are we going to do a prize at the end of this year or something to the winner? Yeah, sure. Let's just give you the prize today, Gianna. <laughs> <laughs> Being on this podcast with you and also you, Chris, is the prize. Oh, <laughs> oh she's really, really going for that prize. She's buttering me up so we can actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. 
This was an awesome, awesome conversation. Thanks for telling us all about your story, your ideas and demand, Jen. I think a lot of people want to implement and push for some of the things that you've already done. So hopefully they have the inspiration and the knowledge to get them one step closer to doing it. Thanks for joining us. If somebody wants to reach out to you, how could they find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there, as well as if you're interested in the fiction, spellmanbooks.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and listening to us today. As usual, a new episode drops every Wednesday. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get the alert. Give us five or six or seven stars and tell everyone about this podcast. Thanks for joining. See you next time. <laughs>